Good to see you guys this morning. Glad you can make it. We've had a great morning already. Uh, talk about uh, some things that God's doing around the world. How awesome is that? And right here in Nampa, it's great to be part of that as well and see what God's doing here locally. Uh, I'm so so blessed, happy, glad. I don't know. There's a lot of different words I guess I could use to, to be part of Involved Church. Uh, you know, you show up here on a Sunday morning. This morning, my, my brother's gone. Uh, he typically does a lot. He and his family do a lot of the audio, video. And uh, they are on a cruise ship somewhere, you know, having fun. And, uh, and we're here in this morning, right? Um, but uh, I'm glad for them. They do a, a tremendous amount of work. I should probably say that while they're here. But um, they do a tremendous amount of work. And, and those of us on the setup crew feel it. Uh, on mornings like this, but we have an incredible crew that comes in and does so much work each Sunday in the morning and uh, after the service to tear down as well. So that is awesome to be part of that. And and if you're looking for a way to get more plugged in and involved, uh, you can help out on setup and see just some of those things and how all of this on a Sunday morning kind of unfolds and, and gets out here. So thank you for those of you who have put that time and effort into it. But beyond that, I mean, there are a lot of other things going on. Uh, discipleship groups meeting throughout the week, small small groups. There are Life groups meeting, and we have hosts in their homes, opening their homes so people can come and, and uh, learn. And right now we're going through Starting Point as a church, which has been great. It's brought up a lot of discussion, I think, in a lot of different groups. And so that's been great as well. Uh, and so it's great to be able to be part of a church where you see just that much interaction taking place. Uh, and so we're blessed by that. And then uh, this week, we were asked uh, if how we like our peanut butter, and, and Facebook just kind of exploded. I don't know what happened there, but people like have an opinion about peanut butter, apparently. So that's all right. Uh, keep those things coming. It's fun to have the interaction throughout the week as well. Well, I hope you're here because uh, you want to know more about Jesus, because that's what you're going to hear about. And, and I hope that you understand and realize that Jesus died on the cross to transform your life, not your circumstance. He didn't have to die on the cross to transform your circumstance, but he had to die to transform you. And that was the purpose. And so uh, I hope you understand that because God does some crazy things in our lives to sometimes wake us up, sometimes get our attention, and point us in the right direction. And maybe you have already experienced that, and maybe you're experiencing it now. Uh, Maybe you will in the future. But know that God's purpose and plan is to transform you and your life. Well, as we move through our study in Romans, we are in chapter 3 today. We'll start with verse 21. I want to remind you of this, that you can text your question throughout the message. If you have a question, text it to 208-205-9771. And we will either answer that here at the end. We'll take about five minutes at the end, go through one or two questions. And then whatever we can't get to, we've been putting uh, a a video together midweek. Uh, It comes out Thursday night at 6 o'clock. And uh, and then you can see it there or later uh, on Friday, Saturday if you want to. You can go back and take a look at it as well. So we've been trying to answer questions there. I've been enjoying that. And a lot of the questions we've had recently have been about God's sovereignty. We just sing about that. You know, sovereign over us. How does that work? And to be honest, in a lot of ways, it's a great mystery. And we're going to talk it more. We're going to talk about it more and more as we continue to go through Romans. And when we hit chapters nine and ten, that'll be kind of the the peak of it. Um, that'll be the climax there, so to speak. And so uh, you can be looking forward to that. That'll be in the summertime when we hit that together. 
Well, so far, what is going on? Okay, I told you we're going to be in chapter 3, verse 21. So what, what is going on up to this point? And here's some of the things we've talked about. Both Jews and Gentiles alike are on the same playing field when it comes to salvation because both are sinners. Okay, from chapter 1, verse 18, all the way to chapter 3, verse 20, Paul has talked about the Gentiles and how the Gentiles are sinners. He's talked about the Jews and how the Jews are sinners. So it doesn't matter if you were born a Gentile, which is a non-Jew, and a Jew who was a descendant of Abraham. Either way, you are a sinner. Okay? Well, then the Gentiles start asking questions like, well, well, we're kind of special though, right? I mean, we had that agreement. We had that covenant with Abraham it was Isaac's son who was, or excuse me, it was Abraham. It was Isaac who was going to be on the altar to be, to be sacrificed, not Ishmael, as the Muslims like to try to say. It was Isaac who was going to be sacrificed. There's something special about that. God provided for that. So, so isn't there something special? And he goes on, he says, well, the Jews were given the law, and the law was given to point out sin. He talks about that in verse 20. We looked at that last week. Therefore, the Jews have a special place in God's plan. That's something, as you go through the Bible, you can't deny. In fact, as you go all the way through it, through the New Testament, Old Testament, you go into Revelation, you're going to see that God is working a special plan with his people Israel. And we'll see that in Romans as we get into chapter 11. We're going to talk about that, how God has a special place for Israel. So he is doing something that's unique with the descendants of Abraham. But most of us in here, probably 95, maybe 99% of us in this room, uh, are more of a Gentile background. And so we're kind of talking about from our point of view and also bringing in the perspective from a Jewish point of view as we move through this. So up to this point, we've covered that both Jews and Gentiles are sinners, that there is a special place for Jews, And as you go back and you go into chapter 1, verse 18, you see just how bad we really are. So if you need to be reminded of that, go back and read that. And you're welcome to read that on your own. But here's the point, here's the big idea, and where we're going to be going today. Now that you know you're really bad, it's time to focus on what's really good. And that's the transition. That's the, that's the direction we're going to be going forward. So up to this point, you may be saying, man, this church just beats you over the head, right? Well, that's, that's the way Paul designed the beginning of Romans, to point out the fact that we need a Savior, Jesus Christ. And so he starts off bringing up the fact that we're, we're sin. So what do you do when you sin? Or let me ask you another question. How do you make God happy with you? Okay, What do you do when you sin, or how do you make God happy with you? Let me go to another direction. What do you do when you mess up with another person? How do you make them happy with you? What do you do? Oftentimes, it depends on what, who that person is. Uh, it, men, if it's... Your wife, and we just went through Valentine's, right? And, and so we, we remember those gifts that you buy during Valentine's. If you don't normally buy those, you make a really special day, you know. So maybe it's chocolates, maybe it's flowers, maybe it's jewelry, maybe it's something along those lines. When you mess up, man, you're like, oh, well, we're going to go and do something, buy something for our wives. So maybe that's an example. By the way, uh, what kind of a triangle do you take out on a date? A cute triangle. 
So I had to throw that. I haven't done one for a while, so I had to throw that in there for you. Study your geometry. If you didn't get that one, you'll get that. So. Okay. What do you do when you mess up with a person? How do you try to make them happy? Oftentimes, when we mess up, when we sin, when we make a mistake, when we do something that is, is wrong, and in the case of God, we disobey him, which is sin, we, we think to ourselves, man, if I could just make him happy by doing ABC, and we come up with some sort of a, of a work, and for the Jews who grew up with a law, and they said, this is what you need to do, A, B, and C, they grew up with this mindset that that's what I need to do. And really for the Gentiles as well, they grew up believing in multi-gods, and they believed that they needed to do certain things in order to please those gods. And so they had an A, B, C list as well. This is what I need to do in order to make their God happy. Focusing on what we do increases pride or depression. One of the two. I'm going to go kind of to the extremes, and you may say, well, I'm more in the middle somewhere. But I'm going to kind of start with the, the extremes. When you approach God and you say, okay, God, this is what I'm going to do, and you lay it all out there, and you say, I'm going to follow all these rules. I have the, the law of Moses. I'm going to follow them to a T. Then you begin to trust yourself, and you begin to trust works in order to get you right with God and be happy with him. Paul knew exactly what he was talking about because he was a Pharisee. He grew up with the law. And he did all those things. And he would, he would go ahead and he, would, he, could, he could have a checklist. In fact, he goes through in some of his writings and he says, this is what I did. This is how great I was. And he goes through and he gives us a list of all the great things he did as a Jew, as a Pharisee. And that tends to produce pride in people's lives. Well, the opposite is true. What if you don't measure up? Like, if you can't do that, if you're not a Pharisee, if you didn't grow up studying all those different things, if you felt like you were always out in the field and you were working and you didn't have the money to go to that education, that school, and all that kind of stuff, what about those people? And those may feel like they don't measure up at that point. And so they might become depressed, discouraged, downhearted because they can't do all those types of things. Well, it's not very far from our culture today. In fact, if you were just to remove the idea of of being a Jew and a Gentile and just look at our culture, what you have today growing up in our world is simply a a group of people who think kind of the top 10%, like, hey, we're successful, we've made it, and I'm just kind of using round figures here, and the bottom 90% who are always saying, wow, I need to be more successful like the top 10%. And the top 10% kind of looks down and says, hey, we could be your coach, we could be your mentor, we can tell you how to dream your dream, live your life, believe, and become greater and more successful. And then you have a large group of people who will never be as successful because as they get successful, so does the upper end. I mean, you have percentages, right? Top 10, lower 90. That's the way it works. And unfortunately, the message that a lot of people hear today is you can't just learn, you have to excel at learning. You can't just be an athlete, you have to excel at being an athlete. You can't just be a musician, you have to excel at being a musician. You can't just work out, you have to excel at working out. You can't just have a job, you have to have an excellent job. You can't just have a life, you have to have the picture-perfect life. And so people are living with that kind of anxiety in their lives, and that's why we see such 
high results or high uh, outcome of, of, of depression and anxiety and those types of things. We live in a performance-based culture, right? And so oftentimes when we talk about even our relationship with God, we think, God, I will do this for you. I will do A, B, and C because we are in a performance-based culture. Well, focusing on what we do is either going to increase your pride if you're successful at it, and you look at yourself and you go, hey, like a Pharisee would, look at all the great things I've done. Or it may cause great discouragement and depression in your life because you're going to say, I could never measure up. That's what happens when we focus on what we do. But today, I think we're going to be challenged to focus oh, excuse me, um, on what, who Jesus is. So the law was written to the Jews, and it was good for pointing out sin, right? But true righteousness is seen in Jesus, not the law. And so as we move forward, this is when he begins to introduce this idea of who Jesus is and what he's done upon the cross for our sins. Up to this point, he mentions at the beginning who Jesus is in the gospel a little bit. And then from verse 18 to chapter 20, he doesn't mention Jesus. And now he mentions his Mentions, his, yeah, mentions him again to let us know that great forgiveness of Christ is available for all. And he points it this way. says, the law which was given to the Jews, it would point out sin. It was okay. It, it, it served its purpose. And it continues to remind us what sin is and what God says is a mark for holiness. But the one who truly fulfilled that righteousness is Christ. And we're going to see that more and more. So what we want to do is, instead of focusing on our own work, focus on the God's amazing good work, which will increase both joy and freedom. Okay? So I'm kind of giving you an outline before we jump into the text, because I think it'll help us as we walk through the text together. So this is just kind of the outline as we move through it. There are three points I want to talk about this morning. The first one is justification. And maybe you've heard this word before, but if you haven't, then it'll be new to you. If you have, great. It'll be another time for you to hear it and hang on to it. So first, we want to talk about being justified, because that's brought up in this passage. What does it mean? And if you go back to the original text, it's a law term for vindication. Some of you were here last week, and you got to see me and totally embarrass myself. As I tried to do some chemicals. And the first point was perfect. Actually, I think it was a God thing. Because I went home and was like, you know, for one, you guys are going to remember it better. Because you always remember better when I mess up. And two, the point last week was the fact that we were sinners. Right? We're all sinners. Even the baby. Everybody remembers that part, right? The baby was a sinner. Okay? But justification is the idea that you are vindicated. You are declared innocent. So let's say you go to a convenience store, you steal something, you jump out and you go out and run into your car, jump in it, take off down the road, you're doubling the speed at least, you blow through a stop sign, you start going down the road, a cop pulls out behind you, he's chasing you down, you finally lose control and you end up in a ditch. You get caught. You, you broke a few laws in there, right? You've got to go and stand before the judge now. And the judge is going to look through all the things, and you're going to say, yeah, I did that. Yeah, I'm guilty of that. Yeah, I'm guilty of that one and that one and that In fact, all this list right here, I'm guilty of all those things. The judge says, okay, I, I don't know, I'm just going to throw out 
penalty because I don't really know what it'd be. I'm going to give you 15 years in prison and you need to have $500,000 to pay back all these things that you've destroyed and wrecked and all the things. Wow. That's pretty severe. But then let's say your dad in the back stands up and says, hey, judge, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pay that fine if it's okay with you. And if you let me, I'd like to go to prison for my son. And, uh, and the judge is like, well, I guess if you're going to do that, okay. So he comes up and he signs over everything, signs his retirement, signs his house over, signs everything. Oh, finally, he's able to make up that money, gives him the money. Bailiff comes, puts the handcuffs on him, takes him away. He spends 15 years in prison. Then the judge looks to the guy who's actually guilty and says, your penalty has been paid. You are now innocent. That's what justification is. Last week we talked about being sinners. And the truth is, when, when we come to Jesus Christ, um, we, are, we are sinners. We're born sinners. But what's cool is, is he takes our sin and he clears us up. So that, in the end, we're clean. It worked this time. Yay! It's a little cloudy, but you get the point. So. It's these lights, that's what it is. That's the idea of being justified. Some people will say, it's just as if you'd never sinned. That's a way to remember it. In a sense, that's true. Um, there is the element of, the, you know, there's the fact just simply that, that we were sinners. And I think it's even more powerful to admit that we were guilty, and yet he still declares us right. He still declares us innocent. So you need to understand that term, being justified. Secondly, being redeemed. Okay, that's a cultural term for freeing slaves. It's what they used at that time to say, hey, I'm going to go out and buy that person back. Mankind has always, at some point or another, had slavery, whether it was legal or illegal. We have slavery today. We call it human trafficking. Same idea, uh, but it's illegal. As in some cultures, slavery is legal. And oftentimes, in a, in a culture where slavery is legal, there are rules or regulations or laws in which that slave can buy their freedom, or someone else can come along and buy their freedom. And when they come and buy their freedom, that's a, a redemption taking place. You are redeeming that person. And that's the, the idea behind this word here. In, in, I think what it would have at least drawn some kind of picture in their mind is they would have seen, oh, what he's talking about is that we are bought back. We are slaves to sin, Paul says in many other writings. But Christ has purchased us and bought us to free us from that sin. That's the idea of being redeemed. And then the last one I think is worth pointing out is being atoned for. Some of your translations will use the word propitiation. And the idea, if you look throughout uh, the, the New Testament and the Old Testament, I think when Paul uses this word propitiation or atonement here, it would have drawn a picture, at least in the Jewish minds, of the mercy seat. And what the mercy seat was in the temple after a, an animal had been sacrificed, the priest would then take that blood and they would sprinkle it on the mercy seat. And that mercy seat would then be... Uh, 
uh, well, that blood, that whole process would be an atonement for that person's sin. And the picture here that, that Paul is, is drawing in people's minds is simply this, that when Jesus died upon the cross, he sprinkled his blood. And there's a picture of this in, in Hebrews. You could read about it in Hebrews where he talks about he actually went into the heavenly temple and actually went and sprinkled his blood there. He sprinkles his blood as an atonement for our sins. Now there's another piece to this that I think is really important. If somebody were to come up here on stage and say, hey, I'm going to make it my life, I'm going to make it my vow to live exactly like Jesus. In fact, I am going to go all the way to be sacrificed just like him on a cross. And let's say that person did it. Let's say that person went and sacrificed themselves on a cross. Would their blood pay for your sin? No. Do you know why? Well, we could go to a couple of different things. One, they're not God, so they don't have that authority. But two, more importantly, the Father, God the Father, would not have accepted their death as payment. The idea of, of an atonement, the idea of propitiation, is not only that the act has happened, that the sacrifice has happened, but that the one who can forgive, the one who has the power and authority to forgive, actually forgives, accepts that sacrifice. So if I make a mistake at home, if I mess up, and I come home with flowers for Rebecca as my, my payment, my sacrifice, like, here, here, I will give you this, please forgive me, and she says, no, no then it's not a propitiation. If she says, yes, I will accept that, then it is a propitiation. Does that make sense? So that's the idea of being atoned for. It's a religious term for receiving mercy. And mercy is the idea that God withholds his wrath. And because of the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, he withholds his wrath from you and I. Grace is when we are given a gift that we don't deserve. Mercy is God withholding his wrath that we do deserve. And that's the main idea behind being atoned for and propitiation. So with those three in mind, we'll go ahead and jump into the text, and you can kind of see how this unfolds. Romans three 21, let's pray. Father, as we look at your word, it's powerful, it's active, it penetrates our hearts. You teach us through it. I ask that you would guide us through it, that you would make it clear to us, because we don't want to just simply read these words. We want to understand what you're communicating. And Lord, I pray that it would challenge us to grow deeper in our faith, to appreciate our salvation and the work of Jesus Christ, his death, burial, and his resurrection, and that we would go from this place sharing the faith, sharing the faith that we have in the gospel of Jesus Christ. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. But now, apart from the law, and here I think the, the, the Jews would have been, okay, he's talking about the law that we grew up, the, the idea of, of the rules and, and the things that Moses had taught and wrote about. It says, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been revealed. In verse 20, he talks about how the law does reveal what sin is and what righteousness is and helps us understand that a little bit. He says, but there's something else that has happened. Righteousness of God has been revealed, attested by the law of prophets, meaning that those who are in the Old Testament actually spoke that this would happen. The righteousness of God is through faith in Jesus Christ. To all who believe, 
since there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. How do we come to really know the righteousness of God? How do we come to really understand not only that there is a holy God who is great and who has given us all these, these rules and things that we ought to do, how do we really come to know him? Well, we come to know him through faith in Jesus Christ who has actually done those things for us on our behalf. He is the perfect one. He is the one who truly is righteous. And when we place our faith in him, we're actually united with him, so the righteousness of God pours over it to us. It's an amazing thing. For all have sinned, and all have fallen short of the glory of God. And you might be familiar with this verse. Someone might have shared it with you somewhere along the way, and I think it's well explained, this idea of falling short, that if you look at a target and an archer is shooting at it, that target is so far away that no matter how good of a, of a shot the archer is, he can never hit the target. That's the idea here, that you fall short. God's holiness is so great. Jesus walks among the people as he was on the earth, and he says, well, you've heard it said, don't commit adultery. I say, don't even lust in your heart. And they're like, what? He raises that standard. He goes on, he says, you've heard it said, don't murder. Well, that's not a problem. We haven't murdered anybody yet. But I say to you, don't even hate somebody. And they're like, what? Is that even possible? He raises that standard. He shows that the mark is so far away. Nobody can hit it. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I love how this passage tells us a little bit more about this subject. Romans 8, and clearly we're going to talk about it more later on, but he says this, verses 3 and 4, what the law could not do since it was weakened by the flesh. In other words, the law itself was fine. But when you start putting humans in there, we start rewriting it to our own, our own way, our own liking. We interpret it different ways. We don't do that in our land, do we? Reinterpret the law. You see, when we reinterpret it our ways, we mess it up. And he says, so it's weakened by the flesh. He, he condemns sin in the flesh by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh as a sin offering in order that the law's requirement would be fulfilled in us who do not walk by the flesh but according to the Spirit. In other words, when we place our faith in Christ, we are walking by the Spirit and therefore the righteousness of Christ is then given to us. And what he did by fulfilling the law is then passed on to us. It's an amazing thing. And so then he goes on to say, in Romans three twenty four to 26, they, okay, who's the they? Well, you go back to Romans three twenty three. for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, every single person, they are justified freely by his grace. So before the judge, the judge looks down and says, yes, you are forgiven. Yes, you are declared forgiven innocent through the redemption the buying back or buying out of slavery that is in Christ Jesus so Jesus in that picture I gave you earlier of of being there before the judge Jesus is the one that stands up in the courtroom and says hey judge I'll pay the fine and I'll go to prison And he comes to the front, and the judge, God the Father, says, if you really want to, and Jesus says, yeah, because I love him, I care about him, and I want to have eternal life with him. 
He justifies freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. God presented him as an atoning sacrifice, meaning that when he came forward, the judge says, well, I've got two choices here. Either I can take this person who's actually guilty and I can pour my wrath upon them, or I can take my only son that was born, who died upon the cross and rose from the dead. I can pour my my wrath upon him. And the acceptable sacrifice that God the Father took was his own son. He says, he's going to atone for your sins, for mine. And he accepted it. In his blood. Blood all throughout the Bible is, is spoken of and it's equated with the idea of life and the fact that when blood is poured out, life is given. And you see that in the Old Testament. We heard that this morning as, he was, as James was talking about the sacrifices that were taking place in the Muslim countries. They're taking and, and, and killing animals today. And I think what, what he said was really key for us to understand that it's a, a horrible thing. You walk around, there's blood everywhere. The smell is terrible. This is what it would have been like every time you walked into the temple and there were sacrifices going on. And it would have been a reminder of how filthy and putrid our sin is. We don't see that today. In fact, maybe the hardest thing we've ever seen are videos of Jesus being sacrificed. If you've seen The Passion, I saw it once and I was like, I really don't want to see that again. It's so hard to watch. But the reality is, that's what my sin has done to God. So his blood, received through faith, to demonstrate his righteousness, because in his restraint, God passed over the sins previously committed. He's talking about something here that's happened. In the Old Testament, they did do animal sacrifice, but ultimately that animal sacrifice was not acceptable to God. It was in the sense that he gave him the law and everything else, but truly what needed to be given was a human sacrifice, and that came several years later in the form of Jesus Christ. But during all that time while they were doing the animal sacrifice, it was a picture of what was to come. And so God withholds his, his wrath during that time, looking forward to his son, And what his son is going to do. So when Jesus Christ dies upon the cross, he not only atones for the sins of the people right then, he atones for the sins of the people in the past and the people in the future. Past, present, and future. When Christ dies upon the cross, he passes over the sins of all. It's an amazing thing. He goes on, God presented him to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time, right now, to those people that Paul's talking to. Listen, here it is. Here's the righteousness of Christ, or righteousness of God. It's found in Christ, so that he would be righteous and declare righteous the one who has faith in Jesus. You are righteous, you are good if you place your faith in Jesus Christ. Not because of your own works but because of the work of Jesus Christ. And that's the point he's coming to. As he goes through verse 118 all the way through 320, he talks about just how bad we really are. And then he moves to focus on how great God is. So it's time to really focus on what's really good. Let me give you one more story before we go to questions. If a guy, let's say you, have a, you own a horse, a horse, a house. 
It could work if you have a horse too. Well, maybe not. Not this analogy. But if you own a house on the corner uh, of, a, of a block and somebody runs through and, and just kind of clips your, your porch and just tears the porch off the front of your house. The next day, and you know who did it. Of course, they, you know, they find out and everything. The next day, the guy who, who tore the porch off of your house comes to you and he's got a hammer in one hand and he's got a, a, a little box of nails in the other and he says, I'm here to fix your porch. And then a guy from the insurance agency walks out and he comes and he looks at your porch and all the damage that's there and he says, you know, I estimate this is probably going to be, I don't know, I'm going to throw out a number, $25,000 to fix it, professional to come. We're going to go above and beyond that. We're going to write you a check right now for $50,000 to cover it. Which would you accept? Do you want the guy with the hammer and the little box of nails to work on your porch? Or do you want the big fat check? My guess is most of you are pretty smart people. So you're probably going to pick the the check, right? Listen, when we realize that we have sin, when we realize that we're really bad, some people are still trying to figure that out. I get it. Maybe that's where you're at. You're like, I don't know if I'm really that bad. I'm still trying to figure that out. I'm still trying to figure out how this whole thing with faith works. But if you understand you're really bad, okay, the Bible calls that totally depraved. If, if, well, that's a theological term. But if you, if you believe that you're dead in your sins and trespasses, you, f- you fully grasp that. And you come to God with your little hammer and your bucket of nails to fix yourself. And Jesus is over here with the, with the nail scars in his hands and his feet. And he has the evidence that I, I, I died on the cross for you. What's God the Father going to pick? You with your little hammer and bucket of nails or his son who died on the cross for your sins? God the Father has already answered that question. He said, I'm going to accept the sacrifice of my son for your sins. And we can choose to accept that or choose to reject it. And unfortunately, as Paul was writing to the church in Romans, there seems to be maybe some fighting back and forth. And there was this idea that this group of people over here were better or superior than this group of people over here. And they were going back and forth. Well, if you do things our way, you're going to make God happier. If you do things your way, well, you're going to make God happier. And Paul writes to him and says, no, God is happy because of what Jesus Christ has done. My son, not what you do, but what he's done. Why can't we get that? Why do we still think that there's something in us that's going to make God happy? Well, there is when we accept Jesus Christ. He's in us. And he's taken us and he's made us worthy so that we can then approach him and worship him and serve him and love him and honor him. Hebrews 10 talks about it again that we can have confidence to enter in the holy place of God because of the work of Jesus Christ. Not of our works, but the work of Christ. If you know you're really bad, it's time to focus on what's really good. 
And that's why it's exciting to keep moving forward as we get into Romans, because we're going to talk more and more about the good work of Jesus Christ. Let's pray, and then we'll take questions. Father, what a privilege it is to know you because of your Son and the work he has done on our behalf. We give you the praise and glory for for your plan of salvation. Jesus Christ, thank you so much that you went to the cross for us. We don't deserve it. We did it because you love us. Now we want to take our lives and give it back to you, to be of service to you, to honor you, to live for you. And I pray that you would take our lives and do great things, whether it's in Togo or whether it's in Nampa or Meridian or Boise or Caldwell. Wherever we go, we'd be used of you in a great and mighty way. And let it be all for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, what do we got? Yeah, so a um, couple of the questions. Uh, I, ever so often you'll send one in and I'll fire back a response. Hey, could you clarify a little bit? Um, and so if uh, I didn't get clarity on this one. So if we don't hit it and... It, we're misunderstanding. We always reserve the right to misunderstand the question. Misunderstand the yes. question, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, but if we don't hit it, let us know, and we'll try to answer it again later. But uh, the concept that uh, that Paul talks about, the Jews and Gentiles are like on a level playing field mm-hmm. now. Sure. Um, then he says, "There's a special plan for the Jews." Sure. Seems like that's a contradiction. So, sure. could you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I think the difference is. Um, there's always a special plan because God had Abraham, you know, his, his faithful one that he, he chose. And we talk about that more. Again, this almost is like one of those questions with sovereignty of God. So for whatever reason, because God is sovereign, he chose Abraham. And he chose to say, through you, I'm going to bring ultimately the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Uh, that's probably the biggest part of being, you know, the, the Jews themselves. So, but God still has a plan and he talks about it throughout the Old Testament. He gives prophecies and everything about that. But when it comes to salvation, so let's just separate it out a little bit. That's, that's God's plan working through a nation and a group of people who are still amazingly uh, around. Like They haven't been destroyed. God reestablished them in the 40s, and, and you know, there they are, have the nation of Israel today. They're a powerful nation. Um, but God still is working with them. When it comes to salvation, faith in Jesus Christ, when Jesus Christ died on the cross and rose from the dead, well, when he died on the cross, the veil was, was torn in the temple. And so people were no longer um, using that plan of salvation for salvation. So before, there was the Old Testament laws and everything else. So when it comes to salvation, what we mean by that is that they trust in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, that he is the Messiah. That's true for both Jews and Gentiles, regardless of their background. So I, that's the way I'm trying to separate it out. Hopefully that's, that's clear. If not, yeah, we'll try to tackle that one more. You can, like, like you said, whoever wrote that can text in again to try to make that clear. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so next question we're going to hit, what about the unforgivable sin? Okay. Yeah. Is there an unforgivable sin or what is... Uh, it just says, what says, about the unforgivable okay. sin? My, um, yeah, we can definitely go through this maybe a little bit more with some scripture, uh, but the unforgivable sin, talked about in a couple different places, I think if you look at it more and more, the unforgivable part is the fact that you deny that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. Like, that's the unforgivable sin. And if you go to your death, you know, denying Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, that's not forgivable. So that's the way I boil it down. Um, And like I say, you can go through a lot more scripture to to define that. But there's either faith in Christ, 
which brings you to salvation, and there's denial of Christ or not knowing Christ. Any of those things, that's, that's that unforgivable part. Okay. So It's a fairly complicated answer, but that's yeah. it in a nutshell. If I could summarize it, that yeah. would be the, that'd okay. be the way I summarize it, yeah. Okay. So last one we can hit today that we have time for is depression or anxiety a sin or sin? Ooh, that's a good one. Um, we need, this is when we needed our, cause we actually went through this. What? Yeah, I was actually going to just mention okay. that, uh, we did go through a series called taboo. You can go to the website under messages and search through our sermon series. And under taboo, there was an entire message mm-hmm. devoted to this topic. So you can check that out. Yeah. Um, but, but if we can summarize it, yeah, let's do that. Huh? Um, good luck. so yeah, good luck on that. Uh, so the Bible does say be anxious for nothing, but in prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to God. First uh, Peter 5, um, it says, cast all your cares upon him because he cares for you. Uh, the do not be anxious is in uh, Philippians 4. Yeah, Philippians 4, 6, is that right? Something. That's close. It's in 4. Um, so, yeah, don't, that's the one where it's actually a, a command. Do not be anxious. And I think that's the hardest one to, to kind of swallow because it, it makes it really clear. Like, if you are anxious, then that's a sin. And so I do think that when we focus on our own circumstance, when we focus on our own strength, we are taking our eyes off of God, and that is an act of sin. Mm-hmm. When we say that, we think, oh, then I'm a sinner. Yes, you are. Yes, I am. Guess what? I get anxious, and I worry, and I take my eyes off of Christ, and I need to put my eyes back on Christ. And, that, and anxiety is probably one of those things that helps me uh, remember that. To be honest, yeah. um, so uh, there are all, all kinds of different levels of anxiety. There's, you know, those types of things you can go into. It leads to depression and yeah, all that kind of stuff. But ultimately, anxiety points points our attention inward. Um, so that would be the the simple answer. Yeah, not an easy one, but you should check out that Philippians four passage because it mentions if you offer your prayers and supplications to God that the peace of God will be yours yes. in Christ Jesus. And so uh, check it out. It's a great passage of scripture. He, he uh, says it with thanksgiving. With like thanksgiving. that's a key yeah. part in there. Yeah. Be thankful for those things. Yeah. yeah. Yep. There's another question. I'm going to read it to you, but we're not going to answer it today. We're going to answer it in the video. So you should check it out online. But the question is this cliffhanger, right? All right. Were, <laughs> were Old Testament saints saved by works or faith? To know the answer to that, you either have to study theology for a while or <laughs> listen to us on Thursday, and hopefully we'll come up with We'll a wrap great... it up in five minutes. Yeah. So all right. Yeah. All so, right. All right. Okay, good. Well, yeah, thanks again, you guys, for those. Uh, I hope you enjoy that. Um, it's, been, uh, it's been good for us to reflect on those things, and it really does, I think, for, for both Luke and I, as we think through how we teach and present things uh, it helps us to think through all oh, these are the questions that people are asking. And so we do try to address those even more as time goes by. Well, I'm going to leave you with a few things to respond to. And uh, you'll have a couple minutes here as we transition into our final song and offering and uh, those types of things. First question is, what do you need to do to make God happy with you? Okay. Uh, I'm just going to leave that out there. You can answer that how you want to. If you don't know... The answer to that question. If there's a, a, like, I'm not really sure I still get it. I'm not sure I understand how to make God happy with me. Then I'd like you to, to text help. That's all you need to do. 
uh, to 208-205-9771. That's our, that's our answer. That's our question one. But if you type that, we can get back to you uh, by texting you back at that number that you text us from. So, and, then, and then talk to you some more about that. So um, if, if you're like, well, I don't really want to text. I'd like to talk to you today. Great. I'd love to talk to you after the service. Feel free to come and talk to me, and, and I will um, talk to you more, share with you more about God's Word and what it has to say about how we make God happy with us. All right? Secondly, how great would it be to buy someone's freedom from slavery? Hopefully you all would say, that would be great, fantastic, right? How great is it to see someone be saved from sin? You would say, great, fantastic, that's wonderful. Who are you then praying for, and who are you sharing the good news of Jesus with? Uh, you are the one that God's going to use in people's lives. And so many of you know we have our Pie Cube cards, uh, Pray, Invest, Invite, Involve. Okay? And, and the idea is that we pray for people, we invest in their lives, time. Uh, we invite them into a conversation, maybe with coffee, maybe to church, maybe to uh, some events and things like that, invest. And then uh, we involve, we get them plugged in to the life of a, of a church. And so if you have one of those already, then I invite you to um, continue to pray for those people, reach out to them, those types of things. If you don't have a Pi Cube card, then, card, then while we are um, having our couple minutes here of reflection, you can go back. It's on our welcome desk. You can grab one, and, and you can put some people's names on there. You can put this somewhere at home. Um, you can put it you know, in your car somewhere where you're going to see it. And, and that'll remind you, hey, I'm praying for that person. I'm going to be praying for an opportunity to talk to them, share with them the gospel of Jesus Christ, and those types of things. And so um, that's just one of the ways we like to encourage everyone here to reach out and to share the good news with people. Because that's what people need. Right? Amen?